Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is time to get back to the book of Mark, and we are in chapter 13, the most intriguing question and the most fascinating answer that Jesus will give, an answer to the question, what will be the sign of his coming and the end of the age? And so let's ask the Lord for an extra dose of his wisdom and uh, his uh, discernment so that we can learn. Amen? Heavenly Father, with just such a, a vast subject before us, the second coming of Christ, Lord, most importantly, we, we want to understand it, but we want to be able to uh, make some applications, what kind of people we ought to be, how we should be thinking and speaking and living our lives in light of, Lord, what you say is going to happen. So help us toward that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's been said that art imitates life, and certainly it appears to be true. And uh, literature, films, paintings, all kinds of things. The songs we sing, the stories we tell and write and love to entertain ourselves with uh, seem to reflect what society is experiencing. And so what's on our minds and in our hearts tends to pop up in various artistic expressions all around us. And so with that said, it's more than interesting to notice how obsessed we are with stories and films and movies that have as their theme the end of the world. If you stop and think about the amount of apocalyptic-themed films that are out there, it's pretty amazing. Let me start with a few lists. (laughs) Clearly... Clearly, it is something we are, A, thinking about, B, interested, and uh, fantasizing about, okay? So that's just stopped in the, oh, there's more. And so it goes on and on and on, and let me show you some recent uh, thrillers. You know, would it, you know, here it is, end of the world, nothing can stop it. That's a quote from the Bible, (laughs) you know? And, and so, and then I am legend, you know, just, I mean, the pictures are right out of the book of Revelation, you know, and then if that weren't enough, we've got a water world. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. World War Z, you know, no worries, folks. Brad Pitt will be there for us. <laughs> Maybe not. But well, see, 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 and that's plagiarism right there, Armageddon. Come on. Don't just be going into the Bible and ripping words out and making a movie about it unless, you know, everybody was thinking about it. Unless 
It was in the psyche, unless, as one writer said, it doesn't take a whole lot of grace for people who live in this modern world to understand that the world as it stands today cannot sustain itself forever. Not a whole lot of grace needed for that. In fact, I would go on, you can leave that up there. It's a nice backdrop for a moment. Uh, This writer went on to suggest, and and I agree with him, that inside all God-created human souls is a knowing of some things, a sense, sort of a conscience about things. For example, the Bible says, he put eternity in our hearts. In other words, you may not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, but you will usually acknowledge, yeah, there's something afterwards, after this life, right? And so in the same way as eternity's in our hearts, we understand that something's wrong and that a world run by vulnerable, uh, weak, um, power-hungry men and women uh, in corruption and greed and violence and all of this cannot long be sustained. And then the gospel comes in and, and confirms the hunch and says, you're absolutely right. This is why it's on your mind because it's actually going to happen. And that's why you guys are fixated with it because there's a sense There's a knowing. This isn't right. What happened? There's somebody who's going to wrestle back the helm and bring creation and world into the order for which it was created. And it's in our hearts. And so we keep playing out various uh, kinds of combinations until we get it right. And the gospel is there to clarify so that we don't have to really rely on MGM or Paramount Pictures, right? We can go to the book of Revelation and see how it all plays out. And not just the book of Revelation here in Mark chapter 13, Jesus answers that question about the end of the world. And here's what's going on. It's not just modern minds that want to know how is this going to play out? I mean, the world can't be run by humans forever, right? So when, when is the sign of your coming, the Messiah, to reign and rule and put things back into their proper order? So here in Mark 13, the question comes because the drama's building. It's Passion Week. It's Tuesday. Um, we're two days or three days out from the cross. So things are heating up and Jesus is talking about judgment and establishing his kingdom and coming. And so they asked the bomb question. And we are so very glad they asked the question or we would never have had the answer. They say in the question in its fullest form, thank you, Matthew's gospel, tell us, they say, Jesus, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus was very happy to answer them. And now here for our consideration is some of what he had to say. Let's go starting at verse 24. But in those days following that distress... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see 
the Son of Man, a title for Jesus, the Son of God, coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his chosen ones, his people, from the four winds, an idiom for what follows, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Everywhere there's a believer, they will be found and gathered to him in safety. Now, verse 28, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you may know that it is near right at the door. Verse 30, I'll tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. I tell you the truth, this generation that sees all these things happening will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. It's right there. Easy, needless confusion. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, no one knows about that day or hour specifically, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. All right, we'll leave that up as we get situated, as we always do. Mark provides 37 verses to the answer to the disciples' question. With our time constraints, we're going to handle really the last 14 verses that you see on the screen. Uh, really kind of cut to the chase and uh, get to the point of how the, the transfer of power from mankind to the Lord Jesus Christ is going to happen and how this future reality should affect the way we live. So that's really the overarching theme of what we're talking about. The passage divides quite nicely, as I like to say, right? Note takers, get ready, all right? So the first couple of verses, what the world can be expecting. So shortcut for that, a sight to see. Ooh, it's an amazing sight at that. A sight to see. And then there's a few more uh, that follow, a few more verses that explain how Christians should be thinking. There's a lesson to be learned. And so number two, a lesson to learn. And then the final few verses here that wrap up the chapter and his thought on the subject would be then what believers should be doing in light of what Jesus has said will surely take place. So a charge to know. So no, takers one more time, a sight to see a lesson to learn, and a charge to keep, I should say. All right, so let's focus in on um, lesson number one, a sight to see, and he likes to give us some signs leading up to that visible expression of his great and glorious, powerful uh, return. 
So let's focus in on those verses now. Now, he says, but in those days, following that distress, and he just described what is called the great tribulation, taken from his own words in the chapter, that it was a time of great distress and tribulation. I'll explain all of that now. He's saying that the, the, the cosmos will be shaken, you know, the celestial bodies. And, and uh, at that time, Jesus will appear in great power and glory. And the first order of business on his heart at the second coming is to gather his people together, the visible coming of the Lord. Now, so let's talk about this. We, we want to talk about a sight to see, and oh boy, what a doozy, right? But it comes, he says, this appearing will come after a whole list of signs, and he's wrapping that up right here. But in those days, talking about days of great tribulation, he would appear. And so nobody will miss that second coming, that visible appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation. Chapter one and verse seven, he starts out by saying, John prophesying, look, he says, he's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, who did the deed. And all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So it's the who is to come part that Jesus is now describing here for us. He will come to bring history to its conclusion and to its goal. Now, verse 24, he says, Following the distress of those days. And Matthew adds, immediately following the distress of those days. We should talk about what he's talking about so we can understand. The distress of those days, if you back up a little bit, he's talking about in verse 19. He says, these will be days of great distress. A distress or great tribulation, another translation, all right, NIV has distress. Other translations have great tribulation, and hence we've taken that title uh, because it lines up with the time of world history that Daniel and John in Revelation describe as, and they call it, the great tribulation. It lasts a period of seven years, and it ushers in the visible return of Jesus Christ. And so here's what the Lord said about those days, okay? But see, in those days following the distress, the sun, moon, and stars are impacted. He says, of those days, they will be unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And he goes on to say, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of his people, those who get saved during those last seven years, he cuts those days short. And so, well, that's a shocking thing to say. Jesus is saying something's coming, a calamity that puts all the other calamities, all of them, they pale in significance. So if you can imagine the Holocaust, oh, the, the terrible genocides that have happened, world 
wars that have wiped out millions of people, all kinds of atrocities and tragedies and natural disasters. One natural disaster, just one, took a quarter of a million lives, the tsunami. A quarter of a million people died with one wave. He says, take all of that, times it by 10, and then you'll know what's coming. And it's in the chaos of those days that I appear visibly. And so we go on here and see. Now, he's, what are some of the signs? Well, it starts out, verses 1 through 13, he gives the signs. Here's, what's, here's what you can look for. Number one, false teachers, false religion, spiritual deception. Number two, wars, rumors of wars, threats, global unrest, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Check. Number three, natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, outbreak of plagues and diseases. Check. Number four, he says, fierce persecution. Christians will be dying and being martyred for their faith. Check. And then he says, and the gospel must be preached to the entire earth. Once the world, pretty much the world, has heard the gospel, then the end can come. But now comes the tricky part. So I need to uh, hope that you guys had a good breakfast. Because you need to put your, your thinking caps on now, okay? So because in the conversation, he gives us signs, and he describes his appearing. But he describes two different scenarios, very distinct from one another, and I'm about to show you this. So because there are two different signs that accompany two different scenarios of this appearing. So let me show you in the scriptures what I'm talking about from uh, Matthew 24 that appeared in this same conversation. So now here you have, first Jesus says, it's in world chaos that he comes. And then later in the same conversation, he says, well, for as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now he just finished saying, when you see the stars not working and out of order sign hung in the sky because nothing's working up there and stars like falling out, then you see my appearing. And then in the same conversation he says, in the day of Noah, before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what was going to happen until the flood came and took them away. There was no calamity. There was no chaos. There was nothing but business as usual. That is how it will be. Two guys working in the field. One goes, one stays. Two women working in a kitchen. One goes, one stays. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the hour that the that the Lord comes, business as usual, no calamities, and he's not returning to the earth. People are disappearing and going to him. And then in the epistles in 1 Thessalonians, chapter four, very famous, where we get the word rapture. 
according to the Lord's word. What word? This one. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. One will be taken, one will be left. Will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. No, wait a second. He comes down all the way and judges and there's Armageddon and he sits on a throne and, and there's the sheep and goat judgment and all of that. No, this version is we get called up to meet him and we're going to be with him at the place that he prepared. At John 14, at the Last Supper, famous words. Did you not catch it when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that we can be together and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to the place that I'm at. That is not the second coming. That is something called the rapture. And so where do we get the term rapture? Well, Bible students, you know, this is old material, but let me go through it, okay? You see this word, this phrase, caught up? Well, the caught up in the Greek, it's harpazo. But when the Bible went from Greek to Latin, harpazo was replaced with, a word, with the word rapturo. And then when it went from Latin to English, people liked the idea of rapturo, and the English transliteration of that word is rapture. And so it stuck. So about 200, 300 years ago, it kind of stuck as the nickname for this passage. But if somebody says, hey, the word rapture isn't even in the Bible and it's only 200 years old, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's 2,000 years old because the word is staring you right in the face. It's rapturo. Those who are rapturo, there it is. You know, somebody didn't coin that. The Holy Spirit gave it to us. So what are... What do we make? Let me explain that. You can keep those verses right up there. What do we make with this? Because Jesus said, well, we can't have it both ways. You're either coming when all hell is breaking loose and the earth is like tilted on its axis and there's no ocean life, no mountains, the islands have disappeared. And he says, when you see that, then bam, you'll see me. Versus this secret surprise. We don't know. Nobody knows. No one knows the day or the hour. But the second coming, we do know the day. Daniel, chapter 9, Revelation, chapter 13, says from the middle of the seven-year period, when the Antichrist goes up on the Temple Mount and he proclaims himself God, Daniel and John say, count 1,260 days and you'll see God appear. We've got the day. And he does that to assure believers in that generation that it will be their generation. So it's not going to be when you see the world falling apart, just no help's on the way. You're not have to going to wait 30, 40, 50 years for the Lord's return. No, 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 no. He's, when you see these things, he's saying, he is on the way. So, you know, you have two different scenarios regarding the timing. One is a surprise. He says, thief in the night, nobody knows. And then the other says, oh, by the way, John says, count them off. 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days, Messiah, boom. So which is it? Oh, 
regarding the method. Do believers go up and disappear? And does he come down to the clouds and calls us up? Where, where is that? Or does he appear in the clouds, deal with Armageddon, and then stand on the Mount of Olives, and then go through the Eastern Gate? That's what the Bible says. That's the second coming. But the second coming, and this sudden thief in the night, no man knows the hour, out of harm's way. There are two different signs. The general signs, wars and rumors of wars and occasionally a, a calamity here and there. The general signs, the gospel being preached to the whole world and all of that is the sign that we are now ready for because this has to happen before God will bring judgment that will annihilate billions with a B of people. Now, why are two appearances necessary? Number one, he loves his people and he's promised us an escape. Number one reason why the church will be taken away and he appears first. Number one, Acts chapter two, the very first sermon when the church is born, happy birthday, Christian church, the day of Pentecost, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he starts preaching and what does he preach? He says, listen up, everybody. The day of the Lord is coming. And he quotes Joel chapter two, where the sun, moon, and stars, just what Jesus said, won't be working correctly. And then he says, save yourself by whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, not from hell in this context. He's preaching on the tribulation. Read it for yourself, Acts chapter two, because he quotes the sun, moon, and stars passage. And that's the tribulation. And then he says, but whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How are we saved from the great tribulation? Then it comes. Then the Antichrist comes. Then there are a couple wars. Then there's a tree, uh, tree speedy. <laughs> There's one of those too, probably. <laughs> a peace treaty with Mr. Wonderful. And then uh, you know what happens after that. Number two, since I've got you here, you know. <laughs> Number two is he plans, tells the church. Everybody agrees. Revelation 2 and 3, he's talking to seven churches. Seven's God's number, complete thing. He's talking to the, a timeless message to his people. And clearly, smack dab in the middle, he says, and by the way, you faithful ones, I will spare you from the hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole earth. You're not going through it. I'm rescuing you from it. That's what he said. It's a promise. Done. Then, 1 Thessalonians chapter one, Paul says, let me tell you about the day of the Lord. And then he says, but let me tell you, we are not appointed to God's wrath. So if we're not appointed to God's wrath, and in Revelation 6, when the tribulation officially starts with uh, seal number one, it says, welcome to the day of God's wrath. And where's the church? You are asking the right questions. Let me assure you. <laughs> From Revelation chapter 1 to 3, 
the church or churches is mentioned 19 times. When the tribulation starts from 6 to 19, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, 11, 12, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, full chapters of 21 judgments coming down. And the earth under all of that calamitous judgment, not one mention of the church. Why? 19 times one through three, and then he starts talking about the judgment, and you never hear the word church again. It's because we're not here. We've been harpazoed. We've been rapturoed. We've been taken out of the picture because of his promise, because of his love. I just want to add one more thing in for free. Listen to this. <laughs> the second coming of the Lord was prophesied by a prophet, seventh from Adam. That's back in the times of Genesis chapter five. His name was Enoch. And Enoch says, he, he, he stands, he says, see, I see a vision. The Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all of them of their ungodly acts and the, that they have committed and their ungodliness and all who have defied him, ungodly sinners who have spoken against the Lord. Now, that's pretty early in history. I mean, the dust had just settled in creation and he's already seeing the second coming, right? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Enoch is the only one this happens to. Enoch, then it says, Jude tells us, and by the way, Enoch, who spoke about the end of the world, was in close fellowship with God, and then one day he disappeared because God took him. <laughs> so here's a dude who says, I see the signs. I see it's coming. It's going to happen. The second coming, the tribulation, the judgment of the world. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence. God is saying, the ones who see it coming and happening, and whoa, this is looking like the time. Then it comes down and he dies. He's, he doesn't die. He's taken away. Then the flood comes. And how about with Sodom and Gomorrah, since we're on the subject and you have no place to go right now? <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. God says he's waits and waits and waits and waits and waits. And then he sends angels to alert Lot. And he says, Lot, come on, okay, we gotta go. You know, the sons-in-laws think he's kidding. You know, he's like, no, we need to go. We need to go. And so he finally pulls them out and up to a mountain. And the angel says, quit dragging your heels because I can do nothing until you guys are safe. So as, and then Jude says, if God knows how, Second Peter, if God knows how to rescue the righteous like Lot and get him to safety before all hell breaks loose, then he knows how to rescue us as well. Do you see? And that's why he's coming as a thief in the night. First, we see him, we hear the trumpet, he appears, 
But it says, in the day of Noah, everybody's at Starbucks, or they're at a garden party, or they're getting married, or two guys are saying, you hit the fence post wrong. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> I don't know who goes and who stays with the fence post problem. But, you, you, you know, that is what Jesus describes, and it works perfectly. It takes a little explanation and a whole lot of faith. But how much faith does this take? How much faith does it take? Genesis 1-1 for you. That God from nothing just speaks and a whole universe comes together. I think, my friend, that required more faith than what's needed here. (laughs) Once you've got Genesis 1-1 down, he can appear. We can go to meet him. If he wants to come down here halfway and meet us here, that's what he does. He meets us halfway. We get there, the little bit of wonderful praise that happens there, and then he, as our mediator, ushers us in to the presence of God, the Father Almighty, and the hosts of heavens, and those gates open up, and he leads us into the place he prepared for us. That's, my friend, what John 14 is all about. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Come on. It's time to move on, because I think you got it. <laughs> Little white out there, never hurt. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. So we're going to go to verses 28 through 31. Now learn this lesson on the fig tree. I'm telling you what, the most exciting verse in the Bible for me personally, you are looking at. Let me explain why. He says, so learn this lesson about a fig tree. As soon as you see the leaves come out, you know summer's right around the corner, summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near right at the door. Let's talk about that. There's a practical and prophetic part. And of course, it's the prophetic part that just, oh, kind of makes me excited. I can't wait to share it with you. Practically, it's pretty straightforward and really not rocket science at all. He's saying, when you see the fig tree bloom, which, like many plants and trees, uh, are in late spring, right before summer. So he says, you see the buds, you see the leaves. You can say to yourself, hey, summer's right around the corner. Now, you know, we can look around us and say the same thing in colder climates. You could say, oh, after the first thaw, you could say, hey, spring's right around the corner. Or... When we see the corn maze up and running and the orange pumpkins appearing on doorsteps, we can say, you know what? What are we doing for Thanksgiving again? You see, the prompt for the planning, right? And when the lights come out on neighborhood houses, you start seeing a lot of candy canes showing up for no apparent reason. (laughs) (laughs) You can say, I better finish my Christmas shopping. And when you see H&R Block do an advertising blitz, (laughs) when you see someone out in front of H&R Block with an arrow going like this, then you know April 15th is right around the corner. Well, yeah, you know, that's not rocket science. That's what he's saying. But here's the prophecy. Here's the prophecy. He could have used any tree. Oh, why the fig tree? It hasn't been 24 hours since Jesus took a fig tree 
and cursed it, and it withered. And we all know, everybody knows, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. They reject their Messiah. And he says, may you stop bearing this kind of bad fruit. And the, and the tree withers. In the same day, he says, now here's a lesson from the fig tree. When you see it suddenly waking up, and now what was dead and dormant for 2,000 years, 2,000 years of withered, with no people, no boundaries, no borders, no military, no cities, no Jews in that tract of land. Nothing. Coyotes, some nomads, empty, barren, nothing. And in one day, pop, a nation in one day. It's written in Isaiah chapter 66. Can a nation be born in one day? But it's exactly what God said he would do. He said, even though there's nothing there, even though there are no people, no boundary, no cities, no, no temple, no Judaism, no nothing. I will gather my people. This is all over the Old Testament. I will gather them and I will replant them. I will bring them all back. I will turn it into a nation with boundaries and cities and militaries. A fig tree with leaves that was withered. So Bible scholars say, can Jesus be saying, hey, when you see that withered tree start to have miraculous life, there's no explanation for the establishment of Israel after 2,000 years. We're not talking 20 years or 200 years or 1,000 years. We're talking 2,000 years of nothing. And then suddenly, and Jesus says, when you see that, well, you better start looking around and paying attention because once Israel's up and running, now let me tell you one other thing since we're here. <laughs> the Sanhedrin runs Israel, used to run it with Jesus' day. There's a Sanhedrin today. There's a temple institute and they are trying and training Pharisees. They're already trained. This is news, Google it around. All right, here's what they came up with. This week, to commemorate that Jerusalem being God's capital of his kingdom, which he says in 2 Chronicles, Jerusalem's the embassy. We are moving there on May 14th, the 70th year of the nation of Israel. We're moving that, that embassy there because 20 years ago, well, you won't hear this on CNN. 20 years ago, Congress approved that. It was already approved 20 years to move our embassy to Jerusalem. 20 years ago. Done. And everybody's been dragging their feet until this president. And this president says, I want to do that. But the day he wants to do it is May 14th, which is Israel's birthday, their 70th birthday. And so the Sanhedrin, back to my thought, <laughs> the Sanhedrin is minting a coin with, on the back side is a picture of the third temple that they want to establish. And on the front side is a picture of King Cyrus who helped liberate and bring the Jews back the first restoration, back before Christ. And 
Next to King Cyrus's image is an image of Donald Trump. <laughs> Why? Because in the same way that God used a pagan king, King Cyrus did not know the Lord, and King Cyrus legislated on Israel's behalf and God blessed him. And because of King Cyrus, a pagan, heathen king, Israel came back a little bit. And now again, now Israel's come back and they're moving Jerusalem. They're, they're telling the whole world, Jerusalem belongs to Israel. And so in honor of him, reminiscent of King Cyrus, the pagan, heathen king, they put a picture of this president. <laughs> You'll have a lot to talk about tonight. <laughs> oh, I have to say. And if you wouldn't mind, you leave this part out of the dinner conversation. <laughs> now, so, so for me, now I, I just want to say, and he ends this, I <laughs> love what he says. Uh, and this generation, come on, people say, see? That generation passed. Read the paragraph. He's saying right there, when you see all these things happen, especially the ones who see the catastrophic disasters, when you see that, this is the generation that will see his coming. It's very clear. It's very clear. It's obviously not anything else. It's obviously what it is. And then I love what he says. And by the way, you can't depend on the earth being here. You can't depend on the sun, moon, and stars being there because you know what? I'm going to replace them. But my word, it's eternal and unbreakable. He's claiming to be God again. There he goes again. There he goes again. He's saying, my word is eternal. It will outlast this old earth, you see? So if scoffers will come, so he's saying, let them scoff. He, he's saying, I am going to come and it will happen exactly as I have said. And he says, so help me God. And he does. He takes oaths all the time. He swears by himself all the time. He says, I'm taking an oath as surely as I am the Lord. And he raises his right hand and he says, I'm going to be true to this people. Let's finish up here. He's serious. Let's wrap up. Now with an intriguing verse that no one knows about the day or the hour. Well, then why did Daniel and John tell us the day and hour? Ah, because he's, now he's talking about the rapture, the best kept secret in the universe. He says no angels know about it. Only the Father. And even though he is in every way equal to God, Spurgeon called him very God of very God. Even though Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. Even though Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And even though Jesus said in John 14.9, if you're looking at me, you've seen God. John 14.9. And John 10.30, while we're all here. <laughs> I and the Father are one. 
he, as the second person of the Godhead, decided, you know what? In deference to the Father, I'm going to leave that to him. I think, personally, it had something to do with telling the world, watch out for crazy people who like to set dates. Because if I don't know the date, then none of my followers know it either. Right? Amen. Now, here's a word for people like myself who are people who say, okay, out of all the warnings in the world of homeland security, we've got level one, two, three, four, and five. I do not mind people who say, we're in a five. We're in the five. We're in the five. Seasons and times, that's okay. But to say August 18th, that's a no-no. That's just a no-no because August 18th comes and goes, right? But one of these days, unbeknownst to everybody, during a high five, <laughs> a high five season, while they're marrying and giving in marriage and building fence posts and going to weddings and registering online, it's going to happen. That's what he said. Now, there's a couple mistakes. Since we don't know about it, here's what some people do. Some people out there, that's what they do. They'll say, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. So there. And then they dismiss the whole thing. You've missed the whole point. He just spent almost an entire chapter saying, look for that. Look for this. Watch, 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 watch. So he's telling us, you don't set the date but you live like it could be today. And everyone who has this hope in them, 1 John chapter 3, purifies himself because you're thinking it could be today, it could be tomorrow. So he ends with a story. And he says, oh, what a spectacularly crafted analogy here. He says, think of it like this. Think of what's happening right here as a man who goes on a journey, a distant journey of some time, it's going to take him some time to come back. But as he goes, he has servants and he gives them each a task to do. And he sets some guy at the door and he says, make sure you're mindful, right? So therefore keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. It could be evening, midnight, or when the rooster signals that another day is on its way. And he says, wouldn't it be sad if he comes suddenly and finds you asleep? Is that what you pictured? <laughs> so it's a call, this last one here, is a call to avoid an unproductive, unprepared, unprotected way of living. Instead, to be blessed and prepared and safe and, and rewarded. So there are two possibilities of you of this day surprising you like a thief and you be found uh, sleeping. One is that you think you're saved or you're just plain just visiting and you're not interested and you're not saved. So you miss the flight altogether. Not because you're not doing stuff, but because you haven't received Christ's free gift of eternal life. Now, if you have received that free gift and God's made you born again and he lives with you in, within you by the Holy Spirit, then uh, you're not going to lose your salvation. You're going to be on the plane. You're going to arrive. But in what condition are you going to arrive? First Corinthians chapter 3 says it can be various. 
You can be well rewarded or have no rewards. And my friends, he has to wipe away our tears because there are tears. There'll be lots of Christians who will, he's gonna come. Now there's a difference between being, we're all gonna be surprised. Let's say it happened 15 seconds ago, right? There'd be a few people sitting here sadly that would be very surprised. Uh, But we'd all be surprised. But there's a difference between being surprised and prepared and surprised and unprepared. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're prepared. You don't have to live like, oh no, you know, if he comes, I'll be left behind. No, you're saved, right? Your main thing is, am I loving him with everything I got? Am I living a compromised life? Am I I walking around like in my spiritual uh, jammies? The ones that you wouldn't want anyone to see. They got like holes in their rip, but they're so comfortable. You can't even bear to throw them out, right? But, you know, and, and they don't smell so good. You forgot to wash them and all of that stuff. Now, listen, are you, yes, are you going to see him that way? You'll see him. He'll love you. You'll be glad that you're there. But you were distracted. You were holding grudges. You were entertaining your little darling sins. You were out of sorts with people you could have buried the hatchet with. So the reason he's telling us this is is that go ahead. Say the things you should say. Forgive the people you should forgive. Parentheses, everyone. Why not have a free amnesty day and say, you know what? Because the Lord may come tonight, I'm going to to proclaim amnesty for every single person who's ever harmed me. They're all off the hook. Why? I don't know the day or the hour. Do you see how that burns in us some warmth and some real reality? It's like, you know, if I'm thinking the Lord's coming tomorrow at 840, all right? He won't because I said that. (laughs) I'm thinking, do I really want to have that petty, stupid, bickering thing with anybody? Do I really want to enter eternity without telling people I love them and being so self-absorbed and not reading my Bible and have such a cynical attitude? Some people look at this and they say, you know, what? what do you want me to do? Go get a sandwich board sign and go screaming out there? No, relax, love the Lord, love other people, do kind deeds. Share the gospel when you can. That's all he asks for. That would be spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That's what he's looking for. And if you're thinking it could be today, and it could be, check, 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 check. It's all done. The fig leaf even. So, Billy Graham's passing. Do you know how many Bible commentators said, isn't that odd? The 70th year of Israel, the icon of world evangelism passing the scene, the gospel having been preached to the nations. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, it is so amazing and uh, it defies our own reasoning that we would, <laughs> that 
how would it be possible that it's us that lives at the consummation of all things? Just, it's an amazing thought, but Lord, it's not beyond possibility. And so we want to be ready. That's how you like us, on the kind of the edge of our seats, Lord, because it produces the kind of life that you are pleased with. So help us burn bright for you and keep reminding ourselves that coming to a neighborhood (laughs) near us very soon are all of these things. And we want to be found ready, not sleeping. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, closing song. Let me close with uh, something I told first service, a funny little story. I was pastoring in uh, Petaluma. I was an associate. I wasn't the lead guy. And Barb had gone out with the kids and, and it was my turn to clean up the place. And it was, you know, it was, it needed it. <laughs> and so I, I made it real, I went crazy, OCD'd it out, you know? Everything was sparkling, you know? And, and then uh, it was a beautiful summer evening and the front door was open. We had a screen door, you know, and, I, and the lights were dimming and so Barb had candles everywhere and I just lit the candles, I don't know. I lit the candles, she's gonna come home, it's gonna be beautiful, right? And so then I flopped down on the couch and I'm sort of bored. I picked up the Bible, started reading, and then there was a, a CD. I turned it on, worship music, and then I hear ding, dong, right? I say, who is it? And it's Pastor Jay, my lead, the, the lead pastor, just dropped in to return a book, right? So I said, come in, and he comes in. The house is dazzling, right? The, the candles are lit. There's worship music playing, and my Bible's open on my lap. <laughs> and he looks around, and he goes, you knew I was coming. <laughs> and I said, no, I just got lucky. I just got lucky. I just got lucky. I don't want to just get lucky when he just goes ding dong. I wanted to be like, I thought about this. I thought I was expecting this, you know? That's why I've been talking to this person. I've been working to deny myself in this area. You know, just... And then he comes in and goes, well, (laughs) you knew I was coming. And we'll go, well, yeah, you told us. (laughs) All right, I guess you get it by that reaction. All right, that's (laughs) You're, you guys are so funny. You say so much with your faces. It's, it's amazing. Let's pray. So, Father, we, wanna, we want to hear you say, you knew I was coming. That's why you're living so wonderfully and things aren't a wreck. Uh, Lord, things could be a wreck, but still have your love all over the place and have your covering. So thank you that even if we are a mess, we belong to you and your grace covers. Help us, Lord, to be ready in every meaning of that term. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.